Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders and teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Exvoyant, the one-on-one sales improvement platform that's transforming how high-growth sales leaders use Salesforce around the world. Create one-on-ones your reps will thank you for and use Exvoyant to help your sales managers create unique plans for every rep on your team. Exvoyant is joining Outreach in New York and Boston, August 20 and 22, as part of the Outreach Summit Series. Check out the schedule and let us know if you're coming. We'd love to meet you there. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we've got you. Hello and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Today, we're joined by Sam McKenna. Regional Head of Enterprise Sales for LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Now, if you're not familiar with LinkedIn, it is time to come out of the cave you've been living in for the last 15 years. Sam's team is having remarkable growth, helping large enterprise organizations harness all the power LinkedIn has to offer. She's had a terrific history of sales and sales leadership over the last 12 years, and I am pumped to have Sam join us today. Sam, welcome to our show, and thanks so much for joining us. Rob, equally pumped. Thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, you you uh, you do some really cool things, and I can't wait to introduce our listeners to some of the playbook you've had to drive some awesome growth uh, in a really desirable segment for what LinkedIn's doing. But to start it off, can you just you know, I don't think anybody that's listening to us has not heard of LinkedIn. If they if they haven't, they must just be brand new to sales. Can you just introduce what you're doing at LinkedIn, particularly with your team and, and the group that you're leading? Yeah, for sure. So uh, if you uh, you're all already on LinkedIn, I'm sure. And I think the great part about LinkedIn is it has an inordinate amount of data and intelligence. If you're a salesperson, it's probably where you start your day. What we're doing on our side is specifically within the navigator line of business. So we're basically taking all of the data and intelligence that you have on LinkedIn.com and we're curating that to be specific insights, job change alerts, all sorts of things that is specific to your book of business. What I love about it, and, and I'm a former user, former buyer, of Navigator. Um, that's how I got to LinkedIn. We'll talk about that later. But I think what's really interesting is that I live and breathe and die by my Navigator usage. You know, I, I really need something that's very focused and tailored for my book of business so I can be successful as a sales rep. And that's exactly what Navigator does. Guilty as charged over here as well. Count the exploit. <laughs> Love it. Happy fans and users of Navigator. I, I, don't, I, I don't ever turn it off. It's just always on on my machine. So Ditto. Okay, well that's cool. So that's that's what you do. I love it. I like your story though, and our guests our guests always have really interesting stories, and our listeners have given me a lot of feedback. They really love learning the story of a how did you get into sales, um, and then ultimately how did that lead you to having this awesome opportunity at LinkedIn. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I talk to a lot of people who are in my my same kind of category and that they fell into sales. When I um when I got out of college a couple of years after that, I found a job in account management and I actually turned down the job at first and 
when they came back to me and said, well, why? I said, it just, I don't want to be a salesperson. I don't want to make cold calls you know, it just seems slimy. And they're like, oh my God. And so they said, just come on board. You know, you'll, you'll work with our best clients. You'll culture these relationships and help keep them on board. And I said, okay, well, I can do that. So after two years of that um, and being successful, really putting our clients first and thinking, you know, about their experience day in and day out. Uh, I, against my will, uh, was promoted into a, a new business uh, position. And I thought, oh, my God, how am I how am I going to succeed? You know, it turns out what I, I one of the best pieces of advice that I got was that you're you're not really selling them something. You're solving their problems. And I love when you think about that it truly is what we're doing in sales. Right. We're looking for challenges that our clients have and how we can solve them. And when you think about it that way and me being somebody who adores to help, you know, from a sales perspective and from a leadership leadership perspective, it really made perfect sense. So um, I'm incredibly competitive also in addition to that. So I think <laughs> when you put those two things together, right, how, how can I set the bar higher every year to help and help more people? Um, you know, and I think the, the thing that was interesting was seeing our clients' success after we sold them something, seeing how their problems solved, and then also building these great relationships and then instantly getting referrals out of them. I think that's also something that led, you know, so far to my success here. And um, the thing from getting to LinkedIn, uh, I think it's a it's a great call out for so many people in sales. Um, I was a huge user of LinkedIn in terms of sharing my content. Um, I run a hashtag called hashtag Sam sales uh, that has great tips on there um, delivered on a weekly and even more often basis. But um, I was really using it to get the message out about not only what we do in sales, but what we do in Navigator. And LinkedIn was nice enough to call one day and said, hey, you know, we see you posting all this great content. You're a huge advocate for our platform. Would you be willing to come and do a testimonial for us? And I said, absolutely. Yeah, right. How fast can I get there? And so I came on and um, probably, I'm sure, a big shock or two. I was incredibly enthusiastic about the technology and just moreover what it did for our sales team. You know, I, I ran the most successful team at my former company and even them being so, so aggressive in sales and so smart, Navigator became a massive crutch that they could use to be even more successful. So during that um, testimonial, I think I, I practically fell off my stool. Uh, it's still up on LinkedIn if you want to go and find it. It's a great, <laughs> great video. But um, I almost fell off my stool with just enthusiasm. And uh, at the end of it, they said, you know, you should come and work here. And I said, never say never. And the rest is kind of history. So 18 months later, here I am. That is a killer story. I like it. And there's so many things I've already written down on my notepad as I listen to you, Sam. And one of the things that, that uh, strikes me that I don't hear our guests say, because we, we have a ton of great sales leaders like yourself that we interview on the show. And um, you're the first one that I've heard say reluctantly promoted early on. <laughs> Why the reluctance? I'm interested in that. You know, I think it's it's interesting when you talk to people who are not in a sales industry, I think we've got this, this bad stigma about sales, right? Like you think of the car salesman, uh, I'm going to super date myself here, but you think of Al Bundy, our little shoe salesman there. Um, but you know, you, you just kind of think about, um, it doesn't, you know, we haven't done a great job of really reflecting um, positivity for people outside of the industry. And I think I walked in with that same completely incorrect vision when I was younger in my career. And so I thought about it too, that 
there's nowhere for me to hide, right? I don't have any accounts that I'm currently managing. So if I don't make my number, I don't make my number. And then, oh my gosh, I don't have a job. Um, but I also thought about it that I'd be cold calling people. I'd be annoying them, you know, all sorts of things. And so I didn't want to be pushed into that um, cold outreach scenario. I think what was really interesting, though, and one of the very first things that I did when I was in this position was um, I really looked at how I could be most successful in, in terms of what verticals to go after. So the boss that I had at that point said, I'm going to promote you to this position. I'm going to let you take five accounts with you. And I took a moment to really strategize about which accounts to take. And I actually took three law firms. We had a monster footprint in law firms, even though we were a really, really, really tiny company. And I went and interviewed the CMOs of the three firms that I took. And the CMO was so impressed with kind of my initial outreach and tenacity that he said, I want you to go through my LinkedIn, go through all of my connections, tell me who you want to meet with in there, and just send them emails and say, I referred you. Wow. I, I can't. Oh, my God. I know. I can't tell you um, how impactful that was. But I think the key to that, too, was I took him up on the offer immediately. I still remember the full night I stayed staying up and being tenacious and going through this. Um, and I followed through. Right. He made such a great and generous offer. And I followed through and really launched from there. So I like what I like is the reluctance came from a, 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 an unwillingness to just be focused on being cold or maybe being not authentic or not helpful. One of the other things that, that uh, I wrote down that you said your success, you help them solve problems and you instantly get referrals. I'm going to want to talk about your methodology for doing that. So it sounds like to me that part of what makes you successful is you're really putting a lot of effort into being authentic. Uh, yep. uh, maybe personal is too, too cliche of a word in today's environment. Uh, how do you differentiate? So you're not that cold or, you know, traditional or stereotypical salesperson? What are some of the things you do to make sure that you're not that person? Yeah, I think um, a couple of years ago, my uh, team got me a fake tattoo with the acronym for show me, you know me. And I think that that is what bleeds through my veins. Um, I really think about everyone that we're reaching out to. How we differentiate ourselves is by not being um, someone who didn't do their homework. We're not being automated, right? We're not trying to make 5,000 dials a week. Uh, we're trying to lessen the quantity and heighten the quality. I think, you know, I can give you a really great example, in fact, of one of the uh, reps on my team now by the name of Matt Flamen. And he also runs his own hashtag, Ask Flamen. But um, awesome. Matt put this great uh, email together yesterday for uh, a, a C-suite title at a massive publication that we've all certainly heard of. And he used some tips and tricks that I've taught him. The subject line um, didn't make much sense. It just had a few things about that person. Uh, it said, you know, her old employer plus LinkedIn navigator plus somebody that they knew in common. That's all the subject line said. And Matt started out to say, you know, X, Y, Z, We've yet to be properly introduced, but I'm Matt Flamen and I oversee, I'm the rep that oversees your account for the Americas. Um, and then you referenced everything in the subject line, why he put those in there, why they were relevant to her. He also said a specific challenge that he knows her team is going through and how he thinks he could solve it and gave a great call to action. 
what was so amazing about this email was one, he shared it back. He shared it with our other enterprise team so we could all grow. But it was such a great email. She responded almost immediately and said, all of the emails I get are so bad. Yours was so good. I will give you 30 minutes. But here's the kicker. She then sends that to her team and says, this, this is how you create an email. This is what you do right. And someone on her team sent that to someone at LinkedIn who then sent that to us and said, this is so cool seeing this full circle. Um, really, really awesome to just see that customization pay off. Well, I love that story. Um, and what I love is that you didn't do it. One of your people did it because yeah. it was like there was some coaching along the way and teaching along the way. Um, let's, let's go Absolutely. into that a little bit. So, cause this is the sales leadership podcast and you lead a team of enterprise sales, sellers that you got it. talk about like a big giant, uh, company where you just referred to where you were able to start having things happen. How is it different coaching or leading large enterprise teams than maybe some of the other teams that you've been involved with that where maybe you're selling to law firms that are smaller? Yeah, I am. So I've had exposure across the board. I, I think really the difference is that when you're leading um, individuals who are selling to enterprise, uh, more often than not, you're you're leading powerhouse individuals who are who can almost be your peers, right? They have almost as much experience as you do, or sometimes even more. They've gone into leadership and then decided that they really just want to focus on themselves instead of a team of people for a while and want to make a ton more more money again. Um, but you're dealing with great personalities who have already figured a lot of sales out. So I think one of the differences just from a leadership perspective is that you really need to dig in to find like that 10 or 15% in them that can still be foundational growth and then attack that, have a plan of attack for them. Whereas, you know, when I'm looking at who we lead from an SMB perspective or a mid-market perspective, you're teaching still a lot of the very foundational sales skills. I think from an actual selling perspective, what's different about selling that enterprise is that you you have so many buyers, right, that are now part of the decision-making cycle. We, we hear about this left and right. You know, it's six buyers, it's eight buyers, it's ten buyers now that are all right. influencing yeah. the decision. But I think the turnover happens a lot more frequently, too. So if I have eight people that are involved, now I have to say, like, God, I hope they all stay in their job and still love us. And if they leave and somebody comes in, I hope they also love us. Um, Sam, i got to push pause on that. That is so yeah. true. I don't want to blow by that. That's a big <laughs> yeah, deal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we sell to large enterprise a, a lot at Exvoyant, and I'm telling you, you're right. That, that number of eight, six, eight, whatever it is, I think it is actually low at this point. I think it's double digit for sure. I'm with you. Yeah. And I, you're right. They turn, they turn over and you're starting over. Totally. And I, and you know, when you're, when you do that, right, you introduce so much risk to the, to the equation, right? All this work that maybe you've done, you've done now for a 12, 12 month sales cycle, or gosh, sometimes even 18 to 24 months to get here, right? Displace who was there before, find budget, get everybody aligned. And now maybe you have, you know, the CMO who leaves or the CRO who leaves and you're in a tougher position. But I, I think the, the thing here is that the tenacity to stay on top of, of this deal to make sure all of your multi-threaded people are still in place and you have good relationships with them, but then also just your overall organization for the deal. I know a lot of people who say like, hey, we've gotten in and you know it's August and I know they're not going to make a decision until February, so I'm just going to push pause, which of course is the wrong thing to do, right? We don't want to put all of our attention in, but we still have to nurture quite effectively. I think the other thing is how do we even get into this monster organization, right? Like let's look at, I don't know, General Electric, right? You think about that and you just think, oh my gosh, tens of thousands of employees, where do I even 
even start. So I think that the biggest difference for us too is making sure that you have a great schematic of what the organization looks like, right from what lines of business they have, who do we already know in there, have there been previous opportunities that we can start to kind of sleuth through and work our way through. Um, and then it just takes a lot of work. So let's let's stay on this topic. I, this, this isn't one that I had actually jotted down for us to talk about, but I think it's so massive that we would we, we're going to do our listeners some favors if we could kick some ideas around on this. Yeah. So you used one of a, a, an important term, multi-threading. You know, the days of find the decision maker and sell to that person, I think those are long gone. Agree or disagree? One hundred percent disagree. Or 100% agree. I agree with you. Those days are, <laughs> <No problem. laughs> those, days are <laughs> those days are long gone. I'm with you, Rob. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, the days of find that one person and whatever, you know, win uh, her or him over. I, I just think that that doesn't, I just, I just don't think that happens anymore for a large enterprise. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And I, I think it's, it's funny because it was an aha moment for me when I was leading one of my new, um, my new AEs at a previous company, um, that we were talking about a massive account FedEx. And he said, uh, I've talked to, you know, the head of marketing there. She said, no, there's no opportunity. I'm like, wait, <laughs> let's, let's that. work backwards. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that, that's what I'm talking about now. So, so this multi-threading, this, this need to understand and profile, like there's, there's, there's a lot of work that you just, you just, in fact, that's what you said. So it's a lot of work. You got to be tenacious. Can we talk a little bit about like, what's your approach to multi-threading? What's your approach to finding out who are these players that you need to know? Because I'm telling you, I, I find that that's easy to talk about, but hard to do. And you're doing it well. Can you share a few tips around that? Yeah, I think one of the most important things is it, there's a tagline at LinkedIn that says, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I think where that puts a plug in for this is that I find a lot of reps at every level will go in at a company at their same level or one above. So they might oh, go like in and that. find... Yeah, right. They might find in their peers or they might go to a manager. They're scared to go higher, right? What if that person responds? What if I can't, you know, do a good enough job? Am I going to, you know, kill the opportunity entirely? But I think the most successful thing that you can do is find a path into the highest title you possibly can. It is a shortcut. If you really find a great quality way to get that person's attention, it's a shortcut for your opportunity, right? It, take a, take a look at the example I gave just earlier with Matt. He went to C-suite. He didn't bother going to a manager, a director, or a VP. He went to the C-suite and said, I can prove value. Give me 30 minutes of your time. And she said, yes. Imagine if he had gone to a manager and then worked his way through to her in the next, I don't know, three months, maybe, maybe longer. Just nightmare, right? So I think that's one of the, the biggest things. Like, let's find who we can get to the, the first and foremost and as fast as possible at the highest levels. And I think the other thing is this is a relationship-based business no matter what we're selling. And I think this is one of the most valuable parts about LinkedIn and, and specifically about Navigator, right? The opportunity to open up everybody at your company for who knows who is one of the most tremendous values that LinkedIn Navigator drives. It's not just who you know, but it's who at your company, even if you don't know them, knows. And so if you think about that, you know, Rob, th think about it from your perspective, or I'll think about it from mine. The amount of cold emails that we get on a daily basis, promising oh to solve every, yeah. right? Are you inundated? Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's amazing, like, just like how much I don't even say, I can't even try to open that because it didn't connect with me. 
exactly. Well, and I, I say that too, just as a quick tip back to what I said with Matt, I talk to our reps and basically everybody that your subject line is the most important thing. And the first sentence is the second most important thing, because that's what they're going to see in their outlook pop up or on their phone. Right. And if you have like, Sam, we can solve your video challenges. Hi, Sam. You know, have you struggled? Immediate. I have, you could, in your email, you could be offering me a million dollars and I wouldn't know it because I've deleted it. So. Well, what I about think, this? Um, let, let me go one step farther. Let's have some fun with this because you're, you're the LinkedIn <laughs> sales navigator rep now. Um, so what about this? I get a lot of people that want to connect on LinkedIn and I generally try to connect with most people that reach out. because uh, yeah. I'm a big believer in the power of the network. But I hit accept, and then it's like 60 seconds later, I have this maximum character allotment uh, sales pitch nope. for me. <laughs> and, and then I'm very quick to disengage at that point because I, I, I just go, okay, disconnect. Any suggestions there? And the, and the exact same way, I find, um, I find it interesting that some people now are, are putting their connection requests. They're saying, they're being truthful about why they're connecting and they're doing the sales pitch. I, I appreciate the honesty, but I still don't connect with somebody wanting to do that. Um, I think that the thing you have to think about here is if, if you want to connect with someone to then offer them a, a product or a service, I would say one, you need to find another reason to connect with them. And that's you driving value for them, not you asking something for them. Um, them. So if you want to connect before you've ever had a conversation, go for it, but find something that you can do to be a benefit to them. And then I think the second thing is I, uh, my personal rule of thumb is I don't connect. I don't ask someone to connect with me on LinkedIn until I've at least had a conversation with them of some kind, a discovery call, you know, they were involved in procurement with us, something where I can say like, Hey, we at least have heard each other say each other's names, or we've exchanged emails about something. Now I'll connect with you on LinkedIn. As a personal rule of thumb, I always just look for a way. How can I be of help to you first if I eventually need something back from you? I want the scales to be weighted in your favor, and I want to have done something to fill your well, so to speak, before I ask you for something back. So this is really good advice because there's a lot of people that say, you know, sell the value, add the value. Can you give an example of how you might be a well filler instead of a taker? Is there like a top ahead? I know that I didn't like ask you to be prepared for that, but I love what you're saying. And if you have an example, I'd love to just, even if it's an easy one. Yeah, I'll give you a great one. So um, about two years ago, I met, uh, I had, I hadn't met her yet, but I had seen a CMO at a conference and I really wanted to get in front of her. And I was trying to think, okay, I'm a sales leader, right? It's a little bit less salesy because I'm in leadership versus direct sales, but I, I want her to know us because my rep wants to get in front of her. Of and course. so what I did is I found her and I said, Hey, I said, you, I saw that you recently changed jobs and you moved um, to Chicago. I wonder as a female CMO of this company, do you know this other female CMO who lives in Chicago in your same industry? And she was like, no, I don't. And I said, That's Oh my awesome. gosh, she's. Right. She's a great friend of mine. I think she'd be a great person to network with. You guys would, I'm sure, get along. Why don't I introduce you guys? So if, if you, you know, if you read Malcolm Gladwell's book, um, it, that'll tell you right there. And then that I'm a connector. It's what I, what I do cool. through and through. But what a great way to add value right away. Right. I've made it, I've made you a new friend in your new city. All right. I love that. That is a great example. Let's, I, I, I've stayed on multi-threading. Is there any final thoughts on how you help an enterprise team get good at multi-threading? I, I have to have one last question on it is do you ask your buyers who else need to be involved or you try to just deduce it? Is there like a blend of that? How do you do that? 
Yeah. So I, I guess another good rule of thumb that I have is that once, once we have an initial call with someone, the, the goal, let's say we have an initial discovery call with someone and it's not C-suite. The goal of the second call should be, for, it is for me and it's for our reps. That second call is either going to double the quantity of people that were on the initial call or double the quality. And so, so we can you say that one more time. I want to make sure everybody, I love that rule of thumb. So I don't want to blow by it. I want everybody to hear that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we're looking from the first discovery call, let's say we have two, I don't know, managers on there. And then they say, you know, this sounds really interesting. We'd love a demo. We say, great. Tell tell us who else we should invite to this. Like who's part of your influencer circle who might be involved in making the decision? Who else can we invite? We're looking to double the quantity of the people on the next call or double the quality. So if I have two managers and they say, you know, our VP of sales is going to ultimately make this call. Let me invite her to this call, this demo great. Like we've gotten a VP, a decision maker. I don't care who else is involved. I want exposure to that person. But if I can still get even more people involved, right? So I can build advocates. If I can get my uh, my likely naysayer or my suspicious person on the call uh, that's part of the team on the call and win him over, then I'm going to be in great shape. That is a killer rule. I love that. The, the double rule. That's, that's a really good tactic that our listeners, I hope, are writing down. I just... Yeah. I'm going to give that to and our I, head of sales and say, from now on, we're going to follow. <laughs> well, I think, you know, everybody talks about too, how much time people spend on non, non-sales activities now. You know, I think it's o- over, I think they spend what, less than, less than 40% of their time actually selling. I think it's even worse yeah. statistic. Yeah. I've but heard so less you, than 30 now. Yeah. I, I think you're right. I think 29 was what I heard um, yeah. the other day. But so Crazy. then we, we have only so much time in the day. So if we're going to take that and let's say we're going to do that discovery call with those two people and then they say, we want a demo. We do the demo with those two people. What a, you know, not technically a waste of an hour, but if we could have gotten so many more people and higher levels involved and really maximized our time and that hour spent, why not? Right. So great way to scale your time and to accelerate the deal at the same time. Yeah, that is, that's a great approach. I love it. Thank you for sharing it. So multi-threading, the importance of multi-threading is even more pronounced in large enterprise sales. What else? What other things are like key considerations as you're leading a large enterprise team? Because Samantha, I mean, Sam, just, just so we can have it out there. We have so many listeners that are saying, I got to get to the enterprise. I got to get to the enterprise. And everybody wants to get to the enterprise and you, you can do it if you've got the, you know, the, the ability to go through the longer sales cycle and some of the challenges, but that's, it's, that's tough work getting into the enterprise. Is there, what other things do you help your team do? I think that one of the things, if you're looking to either lead or to get promoted to the enterprise, one of the things you have to think about is your overall deal structure. And what I mean by that is not how you structure one deal for one person, but what's the mix of deals that you're bringing in for the team, yourself as an IC or as a leader. And what I mean by that is that, you know, I have, I have some reps, um, over the course of my career that have only focused on small ball deals, right? So every couple of weeks they can bring in a 20K deal, but they don't know how to make it bigger. I have other reps who are only focused on one giant fish for the year. And they say, this is going to be a million dollar year. I'm going to blow my quota out. Um, also, if that deal doesn't come in, I'm in trouble, but I'm going to just focus on this and put my eggs in this basket and hope for the best. I think what makes a true great enterprise rep and enterprise leader is the ability to show the capacity for closing those small ball deals while you chase these big fish in the sky and then close those as well. So the ability to look and say, okay, I've got interest from this company right now. And I think that in this one line of business, I can probably close, I don't know, 20, 30, 50K, whatever it may be, right? Depending on your average deal size. But 
I also know that if I kind of hold and nurture them for a little bit, I've got interest from these other lines of business in the same company. I think I can start to plug everybody together. I can go on site. I can run a whole lunch and learn in a day. I can get everybody really pumped and I can connect these three or six or nine lines of businesses together for one massive deal. And I can manage that while I'm also closing this 20K one over here and this 30K one over here. It's juggling a lot and it takes exceptional organization to do. But I think that's what makes a true great enterprise rep. From a leadership perspective, you can do the same thing, right? So looking at how you manage your reps to say, show me the mix of deals that you have, right? What's the one or two large, large deals, you know, twice or three times our average deal size that you're chasing. And then what are you doing to fill the gaps so that you hit your monthly or quarterly quota while chasing those guys? See, I agree. I think elephant hunting is a siren song. People love it. Yeah. Chase it. It's, it's awesome. It's exciting. If you win them, when you win them, it's awesome. But I have seen lots of people crash on the rocks when they, get pulled in by those sirens and that when if that elephant doesn't come to its knees, there's real problems, right? You got it. And I, I think it's interesting too to look at it because the the your financial um gratification from closing these huge deals is great. But what what if you hit your number already with these small deals while you chase that monster deal? What does that mean in terms of your payout? What does that mean in terms of accelerators, right? So I think as a leader too, being able to motivate based on a comp plan, which a comp plan is designed to do exactly that, to motivate the right behaviors, right? So if you take that comp plan and say, let's envision this. What if this happens? What if you can close all of these deals and then get this one? What does that mean, right? What are we, what are we in sales to do? We're in sales to do, to buy money, to have security for our family, to go on vacation and, you know, blow 10, 20, 30 grand while we're there, whatever. But whatever those things are, right? Tying that all back to how your rep thinks of these deals is also a great way to get them to push and do exactly that. Yeah, that's really good advice. And so let's ask one, a couple of things about these elephant deals because you do need to win them. As an enterprise uh, team, that kind of comes with the territory. You do need to win some of those. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So does that change how you, how, what you do in opportunity management? Because with some things, you know, you might just check in and are things going well or how long are we in stage? Does that make it more important to really create buyer engagement? Your sales engagement has to create buyer engagement with these enterprise deals or is it no different? Any thoughts on how opportunity management changes as a leader? Yeah, I, I think from, from a leadership perspective, I, I look at it in the same way, honestly, that I did from the IC perspective. And that's thinking of how to pull every lever I possibly can to nurture and move any of these deals along, whether they're your elephant deals or your small ball ones. I think if you look at the most successful reps, they're the ones that when you're on a team call and you say, hey, we're hosting a dinner here, we're going to have a event here, or we're going to a conference here, their immediate thought is, who can I get there and how can I get my executive leadership in front of my deals immediately? So mm-hmm. I think that opportunity management comes with, you know, even the ones that you know, there's not a whole hell of a lot that you can do right now. Let's say, you know, again, it's August and it's going to close in March, but your opportunity to continue building engagement with that client and your company is tremendous. So look for anything that your marketing team is doing, look for a way to get in front of them. You know, even if you say like, I'm going to be in, you know, Sacramento for other meetings and maybe you're not just yet, uh, but I'd love to see <laughs> you guys while I'm there. Right. Can we go to dinner? Can we have a chance to build a personal relationship uh, even further than we have all of that stuff? Those are threads that, uh, that tether you to that opportunity, keep you top of mind, even if nothing's happening and move those along. 
All right, these are good. I I am digging this. It's it's always this what happens, Sam. I, I look at my <laughs> clock and like, man, I stayed on a topic too long because I got a few things I really want to talk to you about. I'm loving your perspective. I can see why you've had so much success. Thanks, Rob. Um, can you just like top of mind? Are there like anything in your leadership blueprint, kind of your non-negotiables that you got to do as a leader that that have helped you have success with your enterprise team that you could share with our listeners? Yeah, I, you know, I wrote, I actually wrote an article about this a little while ago that, um, I think resonated so well with leadership, but, um, talking about there's again, only so much time in the day. So how do I allocate my, my time and in my day and my week? And one of the things that I do like as a non-negotiable is I try to touch at least three of my reps every single day. Um, honestly, I'll do that even on vacation. So if I'm out West, I live in DC and if I'm out West skiing, um, I'll probably wake up for 30, 45 minutes before I get my day started and just check in with each, every one of them that I possibly can. Um, and just say, Hey, thinking of you, how's this going, et cetera. Um, I think the time that you spend with your team is the most important thing. First and foremost, they are hungry to learn, hungry to grow, excited to share successes and failures with you. Um, if they probably could, they would have you, you know, 50% of your week. And so I think that time invested is always time well spent, uh, even if it's just five minutes to say, hey, I'm running between meetings, was just thinking of you, how'd this morning go, you know, what's cooking in your week so far? Um, and this is all outside of your one-on-one. I'm glad you brought that up. because, <clears throat> Excuse me. I was going to ask you, how does that play in with your one-on-ones? What's your, what's your approach to one-on-ones? You know, I know at large enterprise with longer sales cycles, you may do those different than a more transactional uh, organization might. Yeah. How do you I, I think those it, with enterprise teams? It's an interesting thing. So I, I think a good learning opportunity for me at LinkedIn too was um, I, when I got here, one-on-ones wasn't something that I, I actively did. And that may surprise a lot of people as an enterprise leader. But one of the things that I really prided myself uh, previously in leadership roles was that I had such a running wheel of constant communication with my reps. So um, I might still talk to them, you know, three hours or four hours in a week, but in short bursts, right? Like, five minutes before this call, tell me about pipeline here, all these things that we were just kind of go, go, going. I think what was interesting is that it fits certain personalities in the past, but then here at LinkedIn, the one-on-one time was really important. That actual dedicated, let's talk about what's going on in your week, in your book, in your business, et cetera. And I think also um, I'm, I'm a remote leader, so um, I'm not always with my team. And certainly I'm not always with my team because I'm on the road quite often with someone on my team going to client meetings. So I think the, the one-on-one, what's really important one is that you set the expectation for your AEs that they're coming to you to talk to you about what's going on in their week and sharing that. But then you also have specific time where you say, hey, these are measures and metrics that we're looking at for success. Let's see how you're doing with them. Um, is there a pattern of success? Is there a pattern of not hitting it? If so, um, what are the drivers that are helping you or what are the things that are getting in your way? And making sure you have completely open, honest, vulnerable communication about that. That is fantastic. Um, I love it. Thank you for sharing that. So that, that, uh, Formal one-on-one probably is driving some of the informal check-ins you're doing on a daily basis. Does that have a connection and a relationship? 
Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, my my position as a leader is that I, I really just want to know everything that's going on with my reps for the week. And then not only in their professional life, frankly, and but in their personal life, right? I'm so super curious about what's going on with them. Um, I think it's also great because I can check in and say like, hey, I knew I know you were apartment hunting this week. I was just thinking of you. How did it go? And then that leads to a personal conversation, builds rapport, and then it inevitably leads to a work conversation, builds more rapport or helps with strategy, and then we move on. So they're tethered, right? It's what we cover in our one-on-ones that just spur me to think this is what's going on in this person's world this week or this month, and these are the things that I can think about. Uh, I'll say one thing, too, that helps me. I have an exceptional memory, but I can only remember so much. And I actually keep a book, a running tab for each of my reps. Um, this might be a surprise to them if they're listening. So, um, but I, <laughs> oh, it's coming out. <laughs> oh, God. Um, but it's I actually do the same thing with my clients. So when I hear something about them where they're like, oh, in three months, you know, my in-laws are coming to visit for the first time and I'm panicked about it. I make a note. And in three months when I, when I check that before our one-on-ones and I think about it and I'm like, Hey, aren't your, aren't your in-laws coming soon? And they're like, Oh my God, how did you remember? I'm like, Oh, it's fine. <laughs> Anyway, how's it going? Um, things like that. But I, I think I want to I want to make sure that there's a great way to invest in them and keep these things written down. I do the same thing with the really small, what I call small wins. So successes that they have, um, you know, like, again, going back to, to Matt here in this example, but this this great one with this email, um, that's something I have written down because I want to make it part of his review in at the end of the half. I want him to say, look at all of this work that we've been doing on becoming a better writer, great communications. Like this was such a good example. And in five months, I don't want us to forget this when it comes time for review. So you've got your little one-on-one notebook where you're making sure that you're <laughs> basically it's your leadership CRM. Is that a fair way of calling it? That's a, I love that. I'll steal that from you, Rob. My leadership <laughs> CRM, solid. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's great. So you're recording those one-on-ones. Uh, you're referring to those one-on-ones. You're helping it help you move the relationship with your reps along, just like you want to have other tools have your reps move relationships with cl- customers along. Is that is that a fair analogy? T- totally fair analysis. I, I think that's you've per- said it perfectly. Okay, so I, I have one more question around opportunity and uh, ways you help with opportunity management. And I, again, I'm listening to you and we, I just love enterprise sales and I'm digging what you're doing. This has been a fun conversation. I'm so glad you're on the show with us right now. Thanks. Is for enterprise sales, how important is, is face-to-face interactions with customers versus remote interactions with customers? Is it still important? Is it growing in importance? Is it lessening the importance? What's your perspective on that? I think you you said it right there. It's growing in importance. So I think it's interesting too because um, even at the enterprise level, um, sometimes there's trepidation with doing face to face meetings. And um, I when I dig into it, it's not even the trepidation of being in front of the client. It's always I'm terrified of spending company money and it not being a good use of time. It will always be a good use of time. If you work for a company that is supportive of being in front of the client or encourages it, just go and run with it, right? Use great judgment. We have a good tagline here, act like an owner, right? If this was your money, would you spend it for this? And I think it's a really good barometer. But um, that that importance of being able to build a relationship, even the things that you just talk about from the lobby to the conference room with that person, the opportunity to, to do a lunch, to do a dinner, to do cocktails together, whatever is huge, right? And I think it's also a great driver to actually getting people to um, engage with you further or come to events. There's there's so much that you can do with that face-to-face interaction. 
I think when somebody meets you in person, there's just some chemistry and something that just happens where they're much more invested in who you are and in helping you with the deal. And it helps them reinforce everything that they've already thought about you. Now, I will say one quick thing. Um, I've got my soapbox there, but I, I posted about this the other day, and I think this was one of my, my most commented on Sam sales ever. When you have the opportunity to do face-to-face engagement, a lot of people use this as a lever to re-engage a conversation. So maybe you had a really great disco demo, everything's been moving well, and then they've kind of gone quiet. So someone will say, you know what, I'm going to do that. I'm going to pull that move and I'm going to say, I'll be in Sacramento, even though I won't be, but now I will be if you take the meeting. Um, But what I find is that most reps bury the lead in that email. And so really far down in the email, even even in a short email, they'll say, by the way, I'm going to be in Sacramento. I'd love to meet with you. You're saying lead with that. Lead with that is what you're saying. I would say lead with that in your subject line. So that's my tip is that I put that at the front of the, you know, the re, here's what we've been talking about subject line. I actually put that in front of the re and I say Sacramento next week, question mark. And it just spurs them to open it up or Dodgers game next week or whatever. You're not going to talk in my language. You're talking my Dodgers. You're just <laughs> I won't tell you who I actually report. You might hate me then, but, um, but I think that that really works. So quick, quick tip there as well. All right. So you've given me some really great, uh, pointers for enterprise. It started with multi-threading. There's a couple things along the way, and we just talked about take the time to meet them. I'm so glad you feel that way because that matches my experience. I'm finding that an actual live personal relationship is a modern day differentiator because so many people are unwilling to do that now. You got it with, without a doubt. So agreed. Okay. We are, we are really starting to, to, to have to start to wrap and, and there's a couple of final things I want to hit because this has been so fun. Um, I, there's a number of things, but the one that I really want to talk about that I, I, I can just see right now, there's a bunch of people listening to, that want to get to the enterprise and they're like, yeah, but you're LinkedIn. They'll always take your call or yeah, you're LinkedIn. They, they have to use your product. There's got to be some natural advantages for having an amazing brand like LinkedIn. I, I, I'm sure that's the case, but there also must be some things that you have to watch out for when you have a, a great brand like LinkedIn. So complacency doesn't set in. Are there any kind of things that you have to watch out for uh, with your reps with this big brand? Yeah, I, I think as a as a leader, one of the things that I've noticed is that it, it is easy to hide behind that brand and just say, we have a great brand. You know, we're going to get inbound traffic. We're going to have people that ask us to buy our products. We can just kind of hang out and order take. And it's definitely not the case. And I, I think specifically for our line of business, we really have to work hard to also educate people about what we do. Um, I'm sure anybody at LinkedIn, especially on our navigator side listening, can, can attest to the fact that sometimes we get book a call and someone says, oh yeah, let me get our recruiters or yeah, let me get our social media people online. We're like, oh, that's not what our arm yeah, does. That's not who we want to talk to. Yeah, exactly. And so you have to do a bit of re-education. Um, there's a, an inordinate amount of education that has to be done with a lot of our, our, our leaders, right? Our VPs of sales, our C-suite that are buying, that would buy this technology, but they've been in sales for 30 years. And, you know, all they really care about is an email list and phone numbers, and that's what they want. So you've got to do a lot of work, too, to say, even though you're on LinkedIn and you use LinkedIn, we still have to show you the value, I would say that, you know, this, no matter what brand you work for, one of the most important parts to your success, enterprise or whatever segment you're in, is your ability to self-source your opportunities. And I want to be super clear with that. 
I don't mean the opportunity to self-source and get um, work with your SD or your SDR who then books all meetings for you. This is you thinking, I'm going to be accountable to myself for finding one new meeting every single week. I am going to dig into my book and I'm going to do that. No matter what the brand is, by you being able to take control of your own destiny, control of your book and hold yourself accountable, you'll be successful. That is dirty talk to me, Sam. I'm telling you that is, I'm telling, like too many salespeople don't realize that the most important skill you can have is the ability to find your own business, I think. Oh my gosh, for sure. And think about it too. At the end of that opportunity, when you find, source, deliver, close that deal, for you to be able to look back and say, I did this. This was me. It wasn't an inbound lead. It wasn't marketing that got this for me. I, I got this for the company. The sense of accomplishment is amazing. And the confidence of when you get goals, I can go do that because I don't need to be waiting on leads to come. I, I have a process. I can go do that. You got it for yeah. sure. All right. This was good. That was great. I'm glad. Thanks for talking about the brand. The last one that I want to talk to you about before we hit the kind of rapid fire, um, cause this has been so good. I'm really interested in what your take is. The scoreboard matters. You know, people like you and I, we, we go into sales because we're not afraid of people giving us goals. We expect to beat goals. So I'm not going to pretend that the scoreboard doesn't matter. Sales and hitting quota absolutely matters. Fair to say? Yeah, 100%. However, how do you know <laughs> when you're having impact in ways other than the scoreboard? Because I think the scoreboard is a lagging indicator, not a leading one. How can you tell you're having impact with your team in ways other than just the easy way of sales? Yeah, so I, I think it's, um, I think if you look at, feedback, uh, feedback is the top metric for me. And that's not, not, not only in results, but feedback directly from my team. I think when I'm, when I'm looking at this from a sales leadership perspective, I look at first, my job is sales, right? Every company looks at this differently and how they really measure leadership effectiveness. But for me and my own standard one, I'm here to sell. I'm here to put revenue up on the board. I have a unique skill set that can get that done and where I can scale what I do really well across the board to my team. So that's number one. But that can't take the only priority. That can't be the only priority for me. The second and, and frankly, equal priority for me is just always the coaching. Uh, I'm looking at every single one of my reps to think, okay, what are your cracks in your foundation, right? This is what I tell my reps. I hired you for a reason. You guys are incredible in so many ways, right? But what we're looking for still is the cracks in your foundation that we can just kind of pull apart, grow and build and make sure that you are strong as can be. So looking for opportunities to coach in the moment, um, coach before a call happens, listen to the call, coach after a call, right? Pick up patterns in, you know, if you've got a chorus AI, let's say, or gong, and you're using that to record your calls, looking for patterns for your reps and um, being able to do that and then having them say I I used your tactic and this made impact or I'm following the process that you gave me and I can see a difference or you know again I, I'm structuring my emails differently and you'll be so proud to see what result I got that to me is my metric for success as a leader as a leader and then on top of that I have to weigh that with how are our numbers, right? Because if I do that effectively, but we're hitting 50% of goal or gosh, you know, even 80% of goal, we're not really doing us justice. I love that. So what that, as I listen to you, um, none of that was just show up to a one-on-one -on -one or just stop by and just kind of spitball ideas. There's a lot of preparation you're doing. You're, you're prioritizing. It sounds to me like one of your primary roles as a leader is coaching and being prepared to be able to give insight to your reps. Is, is, is that kind of, am I, am I reading that? Am I interpreting it correctly? Uh, 
Absolutely. And I think, you know, one, one thing I would say for all the account executives out there, sometimes I know some people think like, what does my boss do all day? But there is so much preparation that goes into that, right? Analyzing data, analyzing calls, things like that, that we do to prepare and make sure that we have the most effective thing to deliver back. And, and I think we've also been there where we have a boss who, you know, shows up to our one-on-ones and they're like, cool. So, you know, can you bring this deal in? And that's all they talk about. They don't really have a good sense of what your business is like or what you're going through in your daily work and professional life. Um, but I, I think great advice to anybody leading out there, if you can focus on coaching, if you can focus on also asking for feedback from your team, right? This is how I coach you. Are you receiving it well? What do I need to change? Or even as, you know, we just started our new year and went through our reviews and I said that to each one of my AEs, what can I do to better support you that I may not have done last year, right? You've got to open yourself up to that because even if you think you're doing a great job, there might be tweaks and things that your team needs that you just have no idea because you're not in their head every day. I love it. Roll. Okay. That's so good. Let's get to the rapid fire. We're, 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 we're run up on it. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Three questions. Same, same thing with everyone. Three questions. You ready? Ready. Greatest sales leadership challenge and how do you beat it? Uh, oh my God. Um, risk of attrition is probably what I would say. A uh, risk of somebody leaving because you have to start over. Uh, invest in your people. Make sure that you understand their goals and what they're looking to accomplish and check in. Uh, I, I'd say even on a quarterly basis to make sure you're helping them get to what they want to be. I love that. That's a great, great challenge, especially in sales. Uh, 26% of salespeople in the United States switched jobs last year. And 60% yeah. on Glassdoor say they're actively looking for their next job right now. So that is a really good challenge you just addressed. Yeah. You do, you, you, you do not disappoint, Sam. Uh, <laughs> you do not I disappoint. Try. All right. Number two. Uh, this was, uh, this is one that's popular, uh, popular demand question that comes from our listeners and, and we've produced some fantastic answers. When you're interviewing an AE, what's your favorite in- interview question you're going to go to that gives you insight on who you're talking to? This is one of my favorite things ever. So um, we are so, so quick to believe face value what any sales rep says. And so my go-to question is, oh my gosh, look at your great success. That's so amazing. How did you do it? What's your process? I'll never forget my guy from Oracle who said in my first year, I had 300 and whatever percent of my quota. And I'm like, nobody does that at Oracle. That's amazing. You're a superstar. How did you do it? I worked really hard. That's great. How did you do it? Couldn't answer the question. I will say my other favorite question is for references. So when you get references, of course, your people are giving you their most favorite people who are going to sing their accolades. I like to ask one question for them is what um, does this person work well with others? And I wait, is there a pause? Are they like, oh my gosh, they're fantastic. Or are they like, yeah, so what's the answer? And I also (laughs) like to pose two negatives. So let's say, you know, what about this person? Um, Would they most likely... Uh, do personal errands while they're quote unquote working from home or be a little manipulative? Which one of those two would they do? It's always interesting to see how people answer those. So good. Thank you so much for sharing those. And the last one, uh, readers, uh, leaders are very often readers and it doesn't have to be a book. It can be audible. It can be blog posts. It can be following you know, your hashtag, whatever. What are some things that you think uh, have been really helpful in your leadership journey like something that you would recommend to our listeners that they would start to consume as well. 
Um, I am devoutly devoted to, devoutly devoted, can I say that, to podcasts. Uh, I adore them. I can listen to them when I'm folding laundry, running errands, whatever. Um, I would say if you haven't listened to it, Adam Grant's podcast about work, um, how to not make work suck, I think is the actual uh, tagline, uh, is phenomenal. If you're more of a reader, I would highly advocate for um, Kim Scott's Radical Candor. Uh, Fantastic book. book. Great book, right? And I think so many of them, like, you know, just rehash the same stuff over and over and you're like, I learned nothing and I wasted time. Hers was great. Plus she has a podcast that's 20 minutes each episode that reinforces a lot of the behavior she talks about in the book. Phenomenal. All right. That's it. You, uh, you crushed it. This was fantastic. There's going to be a lot of people that want to get more of you. you know, how, what's your, maybe you can share your hashtag where you post a lot of stuff. How do they connect with you? If they have questions or they want to continue the dialogue, how do they, how do they get more of you? Absolutely. I'm on LinkedIn, as you know, as you would imagine. So find me there, Samantha, Samantha McKenna, uh, and LinkedIn, you'll find me there in DC. And then, uh, you can also look for my hashtag, hashtag Sam sales, uh, that posts a lot of these great tips. Love your feedback and your comments to any of that. Love to engage with everybody. All right. She, uh, she has a tattoo that says, show me, you know me. Uh, she's definitely demonstrated that she understands (laughs) why knowing her people helps her succeed. Um, I, I'm so impressed with what you've done. I love your leadership style. Sam, thank you so much for joining us and happy selling. Thanks, Rob. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? It was super, super fun having Sam join our show. Uh, LinkedIn is, a, in my opinion, it's a non-negotiable. It's a must-use um, whether it's the free or the navigator, that's up to you, but you've got to be on LinkedIn. Uh, it's something that you need to become very skilled at using. I'm a fan of navigator. I've, I've had a lot of success in my career because of what LinkedIn's done. It was really interesting to get introduced to the playbook with, from one of the, one of the leaders, the sales leaders at, at LinkedIn that's helping grow such an important segment for them in, in that enterprise space. And as you listen to her, she was really, really good at, t- at, sharing some of the things that help differentiate the enterprise deals from some of the other deals. But I also thought it was interesting that they're also not that different. There's a lot of things that are similar. There's a lot of things that are different. The one that jumped out the most was the importance of multi-threading. So as people want to work to the enterprise, you are going to have to be able to manage more relationships. There's a lot of data around that. My favorite comes from our friends at Challenger. Challenger customer uh, and some of the follow-on work has really done a good job on sharing just how many people you have to you have to manage. I think it's double digit. You've got to be able to manage double digit people. And maybe one of the best tactics we've ever heard on this show was her rule of the du- the doubling rule. So from the time you have your first call or your discovery call or whatever you call it, you want to double the number of people or you want to double the quality of the meeting. And so that means either going from two people to four or maybe from a lower level uh, participant to a higher level participant. I'm thinking of an uh, enterprise deal that one of our uh, our sales leader put together with a really large electronics firm um, that went from re- a couple, like three or four really strong influencers to getting me in a meeting with six, seven people in it and, three, and two of them were C-level. And so that's a really good rule. And so instead of just being accidental or being patient, be intentional about can I double up the quantity of the people so I can build more relationships or the quality of the influence that might be there um, in terms of people that have power that they can sway. 
Uh, do that early. The sooner you can make those relationships, the more successful you'll be. I thought that was super insightful that an enterprise leader understood and the first go-to was we got a multi-thread. You know, which means then you got to be really organized. You've got to be able to map those. You've got to be able to to um, understand where you have influence and where you still need influence. I learned a long time ago in my career uh, selling to enterprise. I, I've, I I was fortunate or maybe unfortunate how you look at it. My very first software sales jobs were enterprise jobs, and I had to learn a lot of this early in my career. And one of the kind of rules that I had for myself selling in the enterprise was we had, for me, sales and success was winning the votes I need and living without the votes I can't get. So how do you do that? How do you get the votes you got to have? And if there's votes you can't get, how do you win without those votes? That's been a really good rule of thumb for me. And as a sales leader, I've been uh, worked hard to help do that. And that's where I think that matches up so well with Sam. Her approach in, in multi-threading, who do you, how do you meet them, she said. Then another, how do you move it forward? Uh, and then the last one she talked about is how do you make those interactions matter? And I thought that was a really good trifecta of awesomeness from my new friend Sam on, on why multi-threading matters. It's not just so you can say, yeah, I have a connection with them. It's have you met them? Are you able to help them move it forward? And then how do you make it matter? And the way that she talked about how you do that, that like the, the thing that you hear a lot of people talk about, but she's passed the talk, she's good at it. How do you make it so there's a reason to want to talk to you? How do you make that interaction matter? And I really, really loved some of her stories about being a connector or instead of like, oh, be valuable. Lots of people don't understand that the only way you're valuable is you solve a problem the customer cares about or you achieve a result the customer cares about. It can't be something you care about. No one cares what you can do if it doesn't matter to them. I can't tell you how many times I get hit up by people on LinkedIn. I'll have a connection request, and within two minutes, I have this long, pitchy thing on all these things that they think I should care about, and I've never even said so much as, hello yet. And so I think that we should be really careful about how we use that because you have one time to make a first impression. And I will tell you, I don't think I'm alone in when people start pitching me prematurely. I call it premature elaboration. Uh, it, it sucks. It leaves everyone frustrated. Uh, if you start doing that, people start to disconnect. I've disconnected from hundreds of people for premature elaboration. So I, I thought this was really cool. People is what she talked about first. Then it was problems. She talked about connecting with that. And the last one was patience. Um, don't try to push it prematurely. If a deal is going to close in March, she said it's going to close in March. And if it's September, then your job is to find ways to be valuable all the way through. And it can't just be the um, donkey on Shrek. Ooh, ooh, pick me. Ooh, ooh, pick me. Avoid Shrek syndrome at all costs. Instead, find ways to say, I'm going to be, be around, can I see you? Or, we're having this event, we want you to participate. Or, here's someone that I met that I think you should know about. Or, you know, things like that, that show that you are really connected to those problems they're trying to solve, those politics that they're trying to navigate, and you now are a resource that will help them take what the market gives and then some. The best way that you can differentiate is through the quality of your interaction, certainly not the quantity of them. Do not be the pest that gets swatted. Um, there's so many things that we could talk about with her. I really, really liked it. The last thing that I thought that I would mention here is she talked about organization also saying, win some smaller and medium-sized deals along the way. I, I love that thought of what if, you're, what if you could hit your goal on medium-sized deals and you still hit a couple of the big ones. So be careful with that. Uh, elephant hunting is fun, but it's also dangerous. And you want to make sure that you, uh, you give yourself multiple ways to win. 
I am a, count me as a Sam fan. I love LinkedIn. I am now in love with Sam. I love what she does. Um, go back and listen to that one a couple times. You're going to be glad you did. It was great having her on the show. I appreciate the, the fantastic feedback we're getting. Keep sending me your questions. Keep suggesting guests. Keep giving us those ratings. Go use LinkedIn. Follow Sam on hashtag SamSales. And whatever you do, do not worry. Just execute and never forget that we got you. Thanks for joining us for the Sales Leadership Podcast, your weekly pipeline to the most successful thought leaders and rainmakers in sales. Make sure to check out additional episodes at salesleadershippodcast.com. The Sales Leadership Podcast is produced by Brian Jepson and is sponsored by Exvoyant, the modern sales leadership platform for Salesforce.com users. You can visit Exvoyant at exvoyant.com.